welcome to the Madden America podcast, your source for science, psychiatry and social justice. Hello, this is James and welcome to the Madden America podcast. And this week we turn our attention to the transformative power of nature-based therapeutic mentoring and joining us to talk about this is Peter Mayfield. Peter is the founder and executive director of Gateway Mountain Centre, a youth development organisation innovating how youth learn, heal and thrive. He has enjoyed a 40-year career guiding people into mountain experiences and being an entrepreneur in embodied peak experience. He has traversed a trajectory from world-class climber to chief guide of the Yosemite Mountaineering School to founder of City Rock, the first full-service climbing gym in the world. Today, Peter is passionate about changing the system of care for youth suffering from serious emotional disturbance and complex trauma. Gateway's program, Whole Hearts, Minds and Bodies, is the first nature-based therapeutic program to achieve full-service partner contracts with county behavioural health departments and certification as a medical provider. I was curious to ask Peter about his journey from mountaineering to his role as an educator and mentor, and how enabling children and adolescents to connect with nature has such a profound effect on their health and well-being. Peter, welcome. Thank you so much for making the time to chat with me for the Madden America podcast. I'm thrilled to to get to talk to you. And um, to kind of start with, you know, to kind of introduce you to the listeners, I, I, I you know, wondered what it was that took somebody from being a, you know, world championship climber to, you know, now you're involved with kind of outdoor pursuits and therapy and, and nature and well-being. So, you know, how did that transition happen? Oh, well, thank you. I'm, I'm thrilled to be part of this community. <clears throat> I've, I've learned a lot from the whole Madden America community and effort. So very glad to be here. Well, I, um, I started my lifetime love affair with mountains at an early age. And, um, and I, and I started teaching climbing at an early age. I was 15 years old as a certified climbing leader for the Sierra club. And it started with just this really intense feeling of the the contrast. Every weekend I would be facilitating a transformational experience for people in the mountains, uh, leading a climbing outing. And then I would come back to being a, a high school student in San Francisco and have to take physical education class. And I just found the contrast so huge. It's like this this sport is truly changing people. It's breaking open their hearts, minds, and connecting their bodies to their hearts and minds. And, and then Monday morning, I would be there and some coach would be barking at me to, you know, run laps and do push-ups. And, and I just felt such a rich potential in embodied experience in nature. And, and we needed to evolve physical education. So I, I was, um, I thought I would study that. I, I was um, I went to a really high end prep school, and in my college counseling, I, I was telling people like, "Yeah, I want to do something to transform physical education in America," because I felt like it was ridiculous. So over the years, I, I went right into guiding. I, I worked at the, the largest climbing school in America, the Yosemite Mountaineering School, and I was chief guide there. And so yes, I had a good career as a successful climber, but I was teaching and guiding the whole time. What, what rock climbing does, it's this instantly deep immersion into a flow state. And, and it's somewhat unique as an activity because that happens even 
with the first step off the ground for a beginner. In, in any sport, once you have enough hours to get toward mastery, a successful participant learns how to drop into that flow state, that, that present moment experience where um, you're just being, you're, you're not ruminating and thinking and pondering, you're just in the moment. And that's very powerful. And, and so many activities that have been well-researched to be therapeutic, yoga, mindfulness, you know, somatic experiencing, all, all these things help people physically drop into that flow state. So I, I got to do it in so many different contexts with, you know, corporate leadership contexts, with military training groups, with, um, and, and increasingly with, with youth with issues. My first business 30 years ago was, was really the first large climbing gym. And um, we, it was the first full service rock climbing gym ever done. And we had um, all sorts of groups from the Adolescent Drug Treatment Center would come in. Um, I worked with a group that was supporting homeless teens and recovering from heroin. And um, we just saw how this, this type of experience really worked. It really improved their sense of self, their self-efficacy, their self-awareness. And um, it's been a long time um, engagement with these ideas and, and these practices, starting at a very age. But it, it, yeah, it's just been a life work, very continuous. Fantastic. And... and um... I wondered if you could say you founded the Gateway Mountain Center. So I, I wanted to ask kind of, you know, how, how that kind of helps support children and adolescents, particularly with, with, you know, perhaps struggles with mental health issues. And when you set it up, was that kind of your prime drive was to get into, you know, helping people with, with wellness and with, with a kind of nature therapy orientation? Or, or was it more simple and it was really a question of a, you know, kind of nature outreach thing that developed into a, you know, an approach for mental health and well-being? Yeah, it, it was the latter. It was, um, it started, we, we did initially start with two specific areas of work. We had visiting school groups. <clears throat> so we're, we're pretty close to a large population center of the San Francisco Bay Area, but we're, we're up at the Sierra Crest um, on the way, the high point on the way to Lake Tahoe. So we're at an elevation of 7,100 feet. It's a spectacular location, just glorious and beautiful and, and rugged, very rugged. We're on the granite of the Sierra Crest. And we partner with the Sierra Club. So we have the Sierra Club Lodge at our disposal, and we can house 145 youth. So we started with field trips. So, so groups of students, sixth grade through high school, would come up with their teachers and stay with us for three or four days doing field science, mountain adventure. Increasingly, we do social-emotional skill building, resilience building through the mountain adventure. So we started with that, but at the same time, we started doing programming for the alternative education sites in our communities. So we have a continuation high school and a um, what's called a community school, which is used to be called a probation school. So definitely some youth who have had struggles and, and involvement with law enforcement. So we started those two programs at the same time. And after a few years, I was 13 years ago, and we started doing the specific therapeutic work eight years ago. And that grew out of really on a, on a couple of fronts on the, the school visiting field trip programs, we really noticed an increasing number of youth who were on medication. 
So we, we get their medical forms and we do summer camps. And so those kids are really left in our care for seven days straight. And, you know, the moms are loading us up with all the pill bottles, like, okay, they're taking this and they're taking that and they're taking this to counteract that. And don't forget this, or they'll be, you know, and, and we saw that. And, and the other fascinating thing on that end, a, a lot of, in the United States, there's this, I, I would say, egregious um, <laughs> increase in, in kids diagnosed with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And um, it, it is fascinating how many of those kids do find their way to the sport of rock climbing. So our rock climbing camps, after a couple of years, we were seeing like, like half our kids are on these medications. And this is interesting. And um, I had some reflection for myself personally, <laughs> finding the sport of rock climbing. You know, in the 70s, the diagnosis wasn't so, I just got to be a creative, energetic kid. And I, I wasn't labeled <laughs> with any label. Um, but, you know, rock climbing was an amazing outlet for me. So, so we started thinking like, you know, we, we should maybe have focused programs to support these kids. They're finding us naturally. So that was on the probably, I would say like upper income level of population we work with. On the other end, we're working in this probation school and we're seeing kids with serious emotional disturbance working with the county system. So, you know, low income kids on in our country, we call it, you know, Medicaid and California, it's Medi-Cal is the federal Medicaid specific for our state and just how they related to the system of care. And that, and that was really disturbing to us, like a, a, a kid press suicidal coming from a, a, a serious adverse childhood background, very challenging home life. And, and just seeing how long it took for them to get to a therapist or, you know, just this sporadic, access to psychiatry, the unskillful application of medication. So we were seeing all of that. And um, in our state system, there's some, a, a nice funding stream for mental health treatment called the Mental Health Service Act in California. And about nine years ago, they put a lot of emphasis on innovation. They, they were doling out funds to spur experiments to, to support people trying new things. Uh, explicitly these monies could not be used for the existing system of care. So we were invited for our innovative work in the alternative ed system, and, and the county invited us into this process. Actually, um, Robert Whitaker's book had a big influence on me. I, I happened to pick it up and read it right before those requests for proposals came out. And I, I had already had a strong opinion about the um, ineffective mental health treatments in the United States for youth. And I was offered to apply for this funding and read that book and took matched that to my own experience. And we were off and running. What we didn't anticipate was that our initial program, we, we named it, we described it, Whole Hearts, Minds, and Bodies, Nature-Based Therapeutic Mentoring. What we didn't anticipate is that we would initially be given referrals for some, to support some of the highest need youth. In, in our community. So kids who had multiple suicide attempts, multiple psychiatric hospitalizations, they could be said to be frequent flyers of the 5150. That's the term for when a kid gets um, committed to a psychiatric facility for seven, you know, five to seven days. And basically these school psychologists were, were saying that nothing else has worked. You're piloting this program. Why don't you try with this kid? And we had some spectacular early success. 
And, and that led us really rapidly to where we are today. We went from uh, a funded experiment to full service partnership with, with a large county in about 18 months, which is just unheard of. We, we signed a contract before we even had an office. We were still running it out of a spare room in my house. So that, that's the genesis of our program, but it, it has really taken off. And um, we are getting a lot of attention now as the nature as medicine movement is really growing. We are, as far as we can tell, the first nature-based therapeutic program that is getting Medicaid reimbursement and, and these government contracts. So in, in a sense, we infiltrated the, uh, the system of care to try to change it from within. We're partnered with the School of Psychiatry at UC Davis. So they the residents, the fourth year residents have us as an elective rotation. So good on them, you know, that they're, they're looking at the future and they, they want, we only have one at a time. It's not like a huge volume, but you know, this psychiatrist is picking a kid up from school and spending three hours with him. He's got an older out of school kid. So he gets, he does two sessions in a day on Thursdays. And then he's available to give parents some free counseling about medication and, and, but he's totally joining our mission of like, this should be a shorter term thing and a more skillfully applied thing. And, you know, so we're, we're trying to change the system by relating to the system to change it, you know? Absolutely. Well, it's, it's, you know, certainly looking at the website and reading your information, it, it seems pretty unique to me and, and certainly far more in depth than just an outward bounds type uh, nature approach. And, you know, I, I was staggered really at the range of issues and areas that you address. So including mindfulness-based response to substance abuse problems, observational and reflective exercises, anger management, and even didactic practices being at the core of teaching. So there's, a, there's an awful lot there that you cover. So how did you go about kind of getting the skills and experience within the team to be able to cover such a wide range of interventions for kids that might be struggling? It's a good question. A, the, a, an entrepreneur's primary role in, in the skill set to develop is hiring great people. <laughs> so, yeah, we have um, oh, a, a key partner, um, Nancy Minges, is a holistic health educator. We partnered with the Center for Adolescent Studies in Oakland, which is a, an amazing resource for trainings and certifications. And they they developed um, MBSAT, which is Mindfulness-Based Substance Abuse Treatment, which is now an evidence-based um, substance use treatment, very effective. Nothing to do with nature. We, we add that on, but it's, um, it's a process that is um, much more empowering and respectful of the young person. It's a, we always meet in circles. The young people start leading the, the mindfulness practices themselves um, and, and some very deep curriculum and um, <clears throat> learning about triggers, learning about family triggers. You know, when is a friend become an accomplice? And a lot of rich curriculum. We, we've hired a number of licensed MFTs and, and then we're, we're actually a fantastic um, internship location for people working toward their licensure. And so some of these people, while they're in grad school, started working for us and, and bringing back their academic resources to inform all of us. So, yeah, I would just say we, we've hired well and then, and then really made an effort to, to stay connected to the very forefront of trauma treatment theory and practice. So I feel very committed to this Boston Trauma Center. And um, we're also looking at the uh, Child Trauma Academy in Houston, the work of Dr. Bruce Perry. Um, so th those are kind of the two centers in the U.S. that we we look at 
coming out of Houston, the neurosequential model of therapeutics really, really supports what we do. And, um, and all this work out of Boston under Dr. Vanderkolk is amazing and very supportive of the theories that we have developed, both being informed by these schools and being, um, and what we see in practice um, to come up with our methods. So, yeah, I, I just would say to answer your question, we, we've made a great effort to study and connect to what we feel is the best that is out there um, to develop our own package of, of method. One comment I want to make it when you, you mentioned Outward Bound, we, we are not a wilderness therapy program. So ki- kids are not sent away to attend our program. We are treating them where they are. We pick them up from their school, spend three hours with them, three or four hours in a session involving nature as much as we can, often buy them dinner and take them home and then do it again next week. So, so our service delivery is in the same rhythm as somebody getting therapy, like with a weekly session. Um, and it's very different. These kids are not banished away from their communities to come attend our program. And that, that's what wilderness therapy can be very effective, but we are not wilderness, a wilderness therapy program. We, we are a nature-based therapeutic program that can be woven into the youth's life, normal life. They're still in their family. They're still in their school. They're still in their community. And, and that's the game-changing aspect of it. We often get a referral when a kid comes home from wilderness therapy, they need that support. And sometimes the, the huge contrast, um, you know, means they need more support. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and something you said earlier made me think, you mentioned, Peter, that you get a lot of kids already pre-diagnosed and already on, on medication. So, you know, if a kid comes to you and they kind of have already internalized, I'm broken and I have this diagnosis and I have a, a broken brain or, you know, do you, do you challenge those things directly or, or do you allow nature to kind of infiltrate the, the way that, that that young person thinks about themselves? Well, that's a great question. It takes a lot of skill. So we, <laughs> I use the term infiltrated. Um, so we, we support the family deeply and we support the youth. And so, and, and I, I loved how you framed that question because these, these kids, that, that is the context. They are diagnosed, they are medicated. They, they, no matter how well-meaning the practitioners are, you're right, that, that child has this message that something is wrong with them. So some of it is educating, is educating the parents. We do have to do it skillfully though, because we, we can't just, um, like I, I could say personally, I have a, a huge critique um, as does in America of how medication is used with children. And, and we have seen egregious examples, but, but I also, I've also seen it, be a, a useful intervention for a child to go to a doctor with their mom and the placebo effect is so strong, you know, that I have seen that work well. We're like, okay, they're, they're told that this will help them regulate a little bit more and, and get through the school day a little bit easier. And, and it happens. And it, as research shows it would often happen with a sugar pill in that context. But we've also seen, you know, it horribly done. So we want to be part of a movement where medication would be used less often and for less duration and more skillfully. 
and and we want to be part of that. Um, but we can't be out, you know, telling a parent they're crazy for putting their kids on medication. Um, I do distribute an essay that um, is posted on your website from Dr. Sam Timimi. is It's a fantastic essay for parents um, considering medication, and and I quote from that that you know we should look at it as a short term intervention and as if uh, you know they broke their wrist and we put a cast on. The healing has to happen from within. So we hold that framework and then we're, then we pour it on the healing from within <laughs> and how to support that and, and very strength based. And, you know, I, I'll, sometimes I'll tell people, yeah, attention deficit disorder. We, we read, we call it multiple attention ability, a familiar skill set in mountain guides and, and entrepreneurs um, <laughs> to see the big picture and, and connect the dots. So we, we help kids find the, the strength based framework. And that, and that is the healing path. Like, our method is four, we call four roots for growing a human. And root number one is authentic relationship. And a core tenet of authentic relationship is that, you know, these kids come in and, and they've been given this messaging that you know, they're broken and some, you know, we're going to fix you or you need to change or, or, you know, we're going to support this behavior change in you. And our framework is that, you know, we, here you are, and we're going to connect, and we're going to develop a, a real therapeutic bond. And and in this, and we, we are not going to fix you. You have to fix yourself. <laughs> you have to choose um, to change and grow, and and that's up to you. It's all up to you. Um, this relationship will be like a mirror where we hope that your self awareness might grow. We're not literally saying this to a kid; it's just the framework. <laughs> but how we hold it is that. Uh, this, this therapeutic relationship can be like a mirror in which the youth grows their self-awareness. And with growing self-awareness, kids tend to start making decisions they don't regret. That's it. That's the framework. And, and the beauty of our method is, is with three hours of engaging, sharing outdoor experiences, um, that relationship goes deep um, compared to 50 minutes on a couch. And we collaborate with all sorts of therapists. We love therapists and, and most of the therapists send the kids to us because they're like this 10 year old, severely de dysregulating 10 year old squirming on my couch. It's not going to be as effective as spending three hours with you guys. And, um, and, and often, you know, we work as, as a team. So much of it is context. And, and if you talk about the level of, of, you know, government, supported healthcare in the US. So kids on Medi-Cal in our community, I'll give you this stark <laughs> example. The services are centered in a building in a county building called the Joseph Center. And let's let's talk about a typical case we have. So maybe a, a youth who was exposed to drugs in utero and had a couple of foster placements and <clears throat> but now they're back with their family and their parents are sober. But They've been through a lot and there's a 10 year old, they're in fourth grade and they're having all sorts of trouble in fourth grade. And so that, that mom who's kind of stressed out working two jobs will take time off work and take her son to the Joseph center. They go to the, open the door on the left is the court on the right is the sheriff. You go up to, to the first, second floor and there's child protective services and probation. You go to the third floor and there's a, a wonderful therapist in a windowless room but just going up those stairs is, is like a re-traumatizing for the mom and the kid. And, and is that a healing context? You know, going past all the law enforcement, all the county agencies that have threatened to take the kid away or, or did take them away. And, and they go see a therapist. 
you contrast that to someone like myself picking that boy up from school with a kayak on my car. And he's like, hey, Peter, what are we doing today? And I said, well, are, are you up for a challenge today? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, well, the wind is blowing so strong. I think if we can paddle up Donner Lake as far as we can, we could surf some waves on the way back. And he's like, cool, let's do it. You know, and we stop and buy him a snack first and, and we'd go do that. And, and then we're sitting on the beach a couple hours later and, and he's really sharing some hard stuff that happened and, and, you know, a fight he got into at school and how he was suspended last week or all, all sorts of drama and, and therapy is happening. But what's, what's also happening is, is he's developing this self-confidence what we call going through embodied peak experience. Like it, he was challenging his balance, paddling in the windy, on the windy lake. Um, and, and there's, there's growing research that, that, that those inputs, that, that activation of the vestibular and the proprioceptive and the sensory motor will strengthen his sense of self. And, and that is that that is actual healing. The medication he's on, is, you know, might keep him a little bit calmer. It's not going to heal him. This type of work will heal him. He will grow self-confidence, self-efficacy, self-awareness, and, and the relational experience. He'll, he has an adult who is really there for him, you know, kind of a, a mentor, a coach, telling him the truth, but also there in support. And, and for a kid who's had a lot of emotional disturbance and family instability, that is key. That, that is human beings need that. So that just, just to illustrate kind of the, the contrast between the existing system of care and what we do. You know, I recognize that myself. We, we, we aim to provide safe spaces for therapy, but quite often the environment that we give therapy in doesn't feel particularly safe. Whereas to take someone out into nature, you know, and, and be with someone that's experienced and knows what they're doing, it is in, inherently much more open, isn't it? Rather than sitting in a closed room and, you know, being scared by that experience. And I, I loved reading, uh, um, you know, you, you mentioned in some of your kind of, you know, in some of your successes that, you know, very quickly a child will out in, in, in with you in the wilds will start to walk differently. They'll start to carry themselves differently, you know, and, and, and that, that was such a, such a beautiful mental image for me to have that the fact that the child, the young person was, the self-confidence was coming out even in the way they move. We really do see that. And I, I do want to emphasize that um, the majority of the youth who we are working with are not athletic. And, and in fact, youth who have been on this whole class of antipsychotics that have grown so much in popularity, a paper came out last year really detailing how negative, the negative impacts on, on kids' metabolism due to the antipsychotic, it essentially makes kids pre-diabetic really rapidly. So we, so it's common for us to have kids who are very overweight. They, they are not athletic. And so we are, we are looking for that embodied peak experience on relatively flat ground. I, I, I tell my team, like, we're looking for the rock climbing horizontally, you know, and, and you can do that almost anywhere. So we're looking for the log across the creek, the, the, the rock piles, the, um, snowshoeing and in, in deeper snow Ky kayaking on a windy day does that too but just anything that that drops them into that flow state that that place where they're 
they're not thinking, they're doing, they're being, they're their present moment, it helps to have a little bit of risk. So that that kind of I could fall off this log. And sure, I'll hold their hand the first couple of times. I'm like, okay, like try it. And so we're we're supporting them doing these physical challenges that that give them that present moment experience. And I mentioned the neuroscience, uh, and there's a whole um, Dr. Ruth Lanius up in Western Ontario University has done many, many brain scans on she's a neuroscientist, psychiatrist, and many brain scans on adults who had um, serious childhood trauma, um, complex trauma or developmental trauma disorder, very typical of the kids we are treating. In these brain scans, they're showing consistent signatures where there, there are weak connections. And there's some growing theory that, that this consistent, repetitive activation of of the vestibular, sensory motor, proprioceptive neurologic structures can strengthen those weak connections. And, and we see that. We'll, we'll have kids who they come into our program, we start treating them, and they, they are, their posture is oh, just kind of submissive and, and worn out and beat by the world kind of posture and shuffling their feet and not looking you in the eye. And, and after a few months of these weekly sessions, they they're holding their head up. They're they're walking with confidence. Their balance skills have improved, and and that strongly correlates with behavioral change. Um, their ability to regulate emotionally, their um, ability to face setbacks and challenges, their their relationships with their families, um, their ability to get through the school day. So we're we're actually excited to um, we're we're just writing up the IRB now for um, university support to do a a research project to track that. So an array of video cameras where we can have the kids walk a course on video, a challenge, a little bit of a challenge course, you know, one month into treatment, six months into treatment, one year into treatment and have a, um, a pool of people who are independent reviewers to assess these videos for the youth's kinetic qualities. And, um, and they won't know the, the history or the, how long they've been in treatment. And we, we are excited to see how that pans out. We we're, pretty confident. What our hypothesis is will show a very strong correlation with embodied confidence improvements and, and behavioral change. And I, that could inform all sorts of, you know, we, I could see therapists, you know, putting slack lines in the office or, or, you know, running around on boulders in the side yard of the building before they sit down and talk, or, you know, there, it could be all sorts of implications. And, and we're not, we're, we're drawing on bodies of work that support this occupational therapy interesting is so many of these methods are they you know go to such great lengths to figure out what you can do in an office and and we're saying you know it, it actually walk out the office go across the street bounce around in the creek um you know in urban areas one of my favorite landscapes is is the harbor sides you know and they all these harbors have these great rock pilings and we'll walk it when i'm down there i always do that for myself i'll go running along the rock pilings and there's seagulls and crabs and I mean, you could do that in Brooklyn. You could do that in London. You know, like there, there's, you don't have to be, you know, in the high Sierra to do nature-based therapeutic work at all. There, there is great terrain almost anywhere. I was thinking it, it must be, it must be quite something to witness a child turn their attention from very inward focused and wondering what's wrong with them to connecting and turning their focus out to the, the to nature and the world around them and to put their faith in you. You know, I, I wondered how that makes you feel personally when you experience that. 
I've been a guide for 40 years. So it's a familiar feeling for me. I would say that my staff, you know, there's 18 of us therapeutic mentors. Um, we're, we're growing rapidly, but which is, it's sad that the need is growing rapidly. Um, and, and we're always managing a wait list, but we do not have high turnover in our workforce. We, people really love this work. And, and part of it is we don't burn them out. Like we, we, we want it to be a part-time, you know, highly trained, highly supported, well-paid part-time job. These, these, these people are working with, you know, two or three kids, you know, devoting a few afternoons a week to this work. And so they're also not burnt out or overwhelmed, but it is, um, they love it. And, and definitely seeing the change in the, in the kids and, and having that relationship is amazing. And I think another hallmark is that we're, we are a lot less boundaried than the typical therapist. So we, we do get to know these families. We're bringing the kid home after dark, you know, and, and, and we don't just, you know, they don't jump out of our car. We, we go step into the living room and talk to the families. And we often really help a lot of the wounding that happens with kids who have serious emotional disturbances, disconnection from their families, or, you know, they're wearing out their families, or there's a lot of drama with their families. And, and we, we are there for the kids, but we, we're actually added capacity so we can give more family support. We have um, full-time social worker in-house now to do that so that we can help the education that is really useful for parents to receive in supporting a kid like this. But, but we, yeah, we end up getting invited to, you know, the younger sister's quinceanera or, you know, to family picnics and we go, you know, and we're, and we're also there in the middle of the night when something bad happens and we, we'll go to the probation meeting and we'll show up at the hospital. And it's very meaningful to be able to have that, not just be like, we're in a clinic nine to five and it goes to an answering service. If you have a problem on the weekend um, or at night, I would just say we have a more intimate connection to the, to the whole family. We've been doing it long enough. We're having, um, you know, we have wonderful encounters with kids coming home from college right now, this time of year, you know, for winter break and, checking in on us coming into office saying hi and or they're stopping by with their mom like you know and they they haven't been in treatment for three years but they still are connected to us in that way and it's very meaningful that theme of connection seems to run as a, a kind of central philosophy i guess through a great deal of what you do and i was really interested to read your blog post about the life force as you call it and you know i i really kind of spoke to me and you know i i think you know trying to explain that to a young person I think is probably far more meaningful to them than talk of brain diseases and chemical imbalances and, and, and the other kind of things. So, you know, I think that life force and connection, you know, with nature, with family, with friends, with mentors, with coaches, whatever it might be, uh, that, that struck me as quite powerful. Yes. I, well, I, I would say the key is to, um, the skillful way is to not explain it, <laughs> but to, you know, get on your hands and knees with a young person and, and really look at that anthill and, or, you know, look at the, the leaf that the butterfly just left from and flew away. And we evolved to be really skilled at taking in the information from the, the incredibly rich sensorium of nature that, that is how our, our brains evolved to, to be good at that, to recognize patterns and sounds and sights and smells and colors and, movement and it is so healthy to engage those 
structures in, in our brains and, and to and to be exposed to that. And and there's, there's a lot of growing research. It, it's a little bit laughable that you know you can get government grants to study that, you know, exercising outdoors is good for you. <laughs> um, that's the world we're in today though. It's, it's, it's funny and it's sad. Um, but, but yes, the, the life force when, when people are exposed to that, I mean, we, we, in the springtime, we, we take our, the, you know, one-on-one we put on waders and we go out in this lake and search for toad eggs. And it's amazing to wade around and, half a meter of water and, and, and see mating toads and find big strings of toad eggs and then come back three weeks later and see little tadpoles and then the toads and all of that. Um, I'm, I'm a grandfather and, you know, of course it's nothing is more rich and fun than, you know, rooting around and on the forest floor with my two-year-old granddaughter or my five-year-old grandson and, and adolescence, you know, like it's a natural thing for little kids. What's happened in our society is that, you know, maybe they do a, a field trip in sixth grade when they're 11 or 12, and then it stops. And so when you, when you can take a 16 year old who's had all this, oh, you know, history and challenge and difficulty and trauma and, and being trauma, traumatized by the system of care even, and, and kind of get back to that joyful, place they were at as a five-year-old exploring nature, it, it is healing. It, it's healing when you're 60 <laughs> to do it. it. It really is. And, and we are part of life force. And, and anytime you can get on your hands and knees and, and encounter it or, or, you know, have it go whistling by your ear as a, when you startled a bird in, in the thicket, it's an amazing thing. And it's an important thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it strikes me that, you know, we, we, as a society, we've probably inflated the gravity of mental health problems so much that we've probably then underplayed the value and the power of relatively simple, natural ways of dealing with those mental health problems. We probably have Mr. Trick in not doing more of what you're doing, which is saying, you know, there are really good, powerful ways to influence those mental health problems that aren't medical and aren't medicines and aren't rooted in 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 biology but actually getting out and connecting with nature connecting with nature and and connecting with each other and as i said we we are always triaging a wait list right now and and that that's the hardest part of of this work is you know taking these calls from from parents who are really under stress to to support their young people and our service is reserved for for really the most serious cases so we we are when a kid comes in, they've maybe had a hospitalization or or been arrested or, you know, just some kind of meltdown that was so serious that um, an intervention is, is absolutely has to happen. But I, I do get a lot of calls from parents with, you know, kids who are kind of quote unquote normal teenage issues like, oh, they're smoking some pot and they're being oppositional and, and their grades are slipping. And and they all want to be in our program. And I'm like, well, you know, it's, it's very hard. But I, the counsel I give over the phone to these parents is like, imagine how we all lived a few thousand years ago. You know, we, we were in these bands of 45 to 60 people, deeply interdependent and interconnected. And, and the adolescent brain evolved to be really good at connecting to other adults. They, there wasn't this like isolated nuclear family back then. There was they, the, the, the girls were supposed to go learn to 
forage and make baskets from other women in the tribe. And the, and the boys were supposed to go learn their skills with other men. And that is how humans evolved. And so I really, it sounds so simple, but in our modern society, we are not supporting that. And, and adolescents are so hungry to connect. And so a lot of my advice is to, for these parents to just really, the, the, the kid has to find what they can be passionate about, but, but just help them, help expose them to all these opportunities to connect with other cool adults. The best parents in the world are not enough. Adolescents really are hungry to connect with other adults. And so, you know, getting into creative programs or, you know, sport programs, but, but also having free time. <laughs> that's, that's the other problem. So we're, we are definitely, you know, paying a lot of attention to this decline in resiliency that we're, it's a global problem, you know, with, with young people in, in adolescence. And, and that is our advice. So it's, it's connect, yes, connecting to nature, but also connecting to each other, you know, like, and, and connecting, adolescents connecting to great adults um, who, who can give them support. An, an interesting thing we noticed, so we're in rural California, and <clears throat> there's kind of this bias that people think like, oh, it's, you know, everything's better in rural areas, and it's not like the big bad city. And, and actually, it's the opposite, right? The drug addiction, suicide, depression, anxiety, um, in, in many of those cases, is double um, the incidence statistically in rural areas in America than it is in, in the cities. And and that makes sense to us. We work, we work with urban youth too on, on outings, not daily, although we're, we're being asked to open up down in the Bay Area in 2020. So we will be operating down there too. But yeah, if you're, if you're a, a teenager in West Oakland with some, some serious emotional disturbance and struggles, if you walk out the door, the statistical probability of, of being able to encounter a really cool adult is, is much higher. You know, you can on your block, you know, find somebody to, to hang out with. Um, if you're at the end of a dirt road, living in a trailer with your alcoholic older relative, that's a pretty sad, isolated place and to make the contrast stark, but, but it is, it, it is humans. <laughs> fundamentally, we are cuddling monkeys <laughs> and we are supposed to be connected. And our modern society is just created so much disconnection. And, and that's, you know, that's, it's not just for kids, obviously, like the suicide is spiking for people of my age group of 30 to 60 year old men in America um, are lonely and disconnected and a pill isn't going to fix that. No. And, uh, you know, I think unfortunately that disconnect goes as far now as the climate emergency and climate change, isn't it? We, we have removed ourselves from the stewardship of nature so, so far that now we're causing hopefully not irreparable damage. But, you know, again, I think what you're doing is so important because not only are you attending to the growing problem of mental distress in, in, in youth, but you're probably also sowing the seeds for the generation that are going to have to take on climate change and do something actually about it more than talk. It is so true. It is. Kids going through our therapeutic men- method are also becoming more environmentally literate. <laughs> and that's, and that is a good thing. And, and, and it's meaningful thing. you know, it, Youth really need meaning and meaning making. And, and we love this um, hugely growing youth movement about climate change and, and absolutely, um, and, and social activism too. Um, so back to our method. So four roots for growing a human. 
Root number one is authentic relationship. Root number two is connecting to nature. Root number three is embodied peak experience that I've been describing. Root number four is helping others. And, and that meaning making, we, we see that as a kid. It's, some of it is a trajectory of age, like the 10-year-old. We'll get them volunteering a little bit, but boy, that 16-year-old, when she says, hey, I, okay, I, I need to start looking for a job. You know, can you give me some coaching about that? And we, we set her up with a, a, a really cool volunteer gig. And, and all of a sudden, you know, she, she goes from being the problem child to, to being a helper. And that is hugely healing. These kids connecting to community through service is a huge part of that. And, and it's a core of our treatment method is, is helping them connect to community through service. And, and yeah, that could be environmental service, climate change, um, social service, you know, giving out food to um, homeless people. We, we've, it's a super important part of our, of our method. It's what, it's what teenagers want. Adolescents want to, to have meaning in their life, to be part of something bigger. We all want that. And, and you're also right to point out that if people who suffer from mental illness could be said to just be like a percentage of the population that is, has a higher sensitivity, well, there's really to get through the day with some of the environmental news that's out there. Um, you know, we learn to have grow thick skin. So the more sensitive people are, are we're, we're all suffering from this. We're all suffering from, uh, you know, the, the disconnect, the, the huge um, illogic disconnect between, you know, how our societies have organized our material existence and, and the relationship with the planet. Now, I help kids get excited about the opportunities there. I, I think this new gen, this this young generation gets to redesign everything about our material existence, how we do transportation and energy and food and housing. And so to me, it's an exciting opportunity, but you can also just get really sad about it. It absolutely contributes to the global increase in depression. Thank you so much, Peter. And was there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners? One thing that's very interesting about our method is it's a very efficient delivery system. And I think that's important. So we, we built a system where one licensed therapist can clinically supervise five therapeutic mentors who are each treating two or three youth. If you map that out on a spreadsheet, you could see that like one licensed therapist is overseeing like 80 hours of nature-based therapeutic mentoring for the highest need youth. So it's, it's a very effective delivery system. And, and we, are, we, are, we are ambitious. We, we think this method should spread. And you know, I'm 57 years old and I, um, I, I have a lot of energy for my work, but I'm, I am hoping in the next year, we are looking at two other locations. Um, the county in the Bay area is really inviting us in to pilot a program there. And the biggest city near to us is Reno in the next state, Nevada, but we're hoping to, to prove this in some other locations and then really maybe to license the, the method in a, in a much bigger um, context, like to a large healthcare company. So we, we think, we're very excited about it. We think it is um, a potential model that that really is worth spreading. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, 
reading the website and you know seeing the images and reading the blogs and things it 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 really does give me hope for the future that we can encourage the next generation to to deal with some pretty significant challenges in their lives and you know i i, I hope that you know the method that you you've pioneered is spread all, all over the world as as quickly as possible because we we desperately need it i think well, thank you very much. And it, it's, as I said, I, it means so much to me to be part of the Mad in America community. It's a great, it's a great service that you all have created and to spread great knowledge. Well, I just want to thank Peter so much for taking the time to chat for the podcast. And if you'd like to know more about the work of the Gateway Mountain Center, you can visit the website sierraexperience.org. And also, as this is our last podcast of 2019, I want to say a huge thank you to you for listening and for being part of the Madden America community. During 2019, we've released 33 podcast interviews featuring a range of subjects, and we've added new parenting and veterans issues to our science and psychology discussions. We intend on keeping on this path to bring you more interviews and discussions throughout 2020. So from us all at Madden America, thank you for giving us our time and for listening. And until next time, take care. Thank you for listening to the Madden America podcast. Visit maddenamerica.com for more news, views and updates.